Race Fuels is Australia's leading supplier of racing fuels. And with the new Bowsers at Queensland Raceway, it's never been easier to source your racing fuel trackside. Elf Race 102 is imported racing fuel direct from Europe. Offering power and protection, the Elf Race 102 is a popular fuel with racers seeking gains over pump fuel. Improve your lap times with Elf Race 102. Racefuels.com.au for all your fuel at the racetrack. This is the Race Fuels Grassroots Racing Podcast and your hosts, Darren Smith and Gary O'Brien. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, trackside here at the Race Fuels Grassroots Racing Podcast. Well, not really trackside, but we'll pretend because Gaz and I aren't getting any younger. My co-host comes alive at this time of the year. It's not just the smell of spring and the freshly cut grass or the warmer weather. It's the countdown to the Bathurst 1000, and that gets him a tickle in his nether regions. Gary O'Brien, welcome. To episode number 34. Well, you're right there, Des. Uh, hello to oh, everyone. I know I am. Yeah, certainly uh, Bathurst Hall's a special spot. A, I was born there. <laughs> B, I like coming back there if my father still lives there. And this will be the 50 something uh, event <laughs> I'll be at. <laughs> We're really looking forward to it. Yeah, certainly, as as always. And there'll be uh, there'll be some support categories that we'll uh, we'll touch on in the next sports sports will be be huge up there. Gaz, episode number thirty four. We've got a uh, a bloke that has been grassroots and back to the top and back to grassroots and all over the place, hasn't he? Yeah, he certainly has. He started out in sports sedans, um, had a fairly nasty accident in one of them, I believe. Did a bit of club cars. He's done some HQs. He's been on the dome, uh, the Thunder Dome, as we like to call it. And he's also raced in production cars uh, with some good success in the early 12-hour races at Bathurst. Then um, he, uh, more recent times, has raced in Touring Car Masters. Our guest today is Brett Yildon. It must be the wonderful Gary and... (laughs) That's her and Gaz! I'll get it right in a minute. Thank you so much for joining Gary and I on the Grassroots Racing Podcast. We've got a, a new sponsor in Race Fuels, and uh, it's great to have you know some a real racer on to celebrate the fact that we've got a new sponsor. And uh, we do thank the crew at Race Fuels for for jumping on board. And uh, and Brett, I know you you've serviced your sponsors very very well. I'm sure you'll even drop a bit of Race Fuels throughout the podcast as well. Absolutely. Yes. I bought a bit of their product. Um, I'm not sure if they've been that forthcoming and given me some, but I I know the checks in the mail. (laughs) (laughs) Brett, we always start off with the the obvious question, Um, being the Grassroots Racing Podcast, your very first memory of motorsport, whether it be a speedway, a racetrack, a rally stage, or whatever it might be, your first memory, dig deep and and uh, and what that meant to you and how that sort of stung you for basically the rest of your life. Darren, that's a fantastic question. I, I can give you a, a succinct answer immediately. I went to Sandown in uh, would have been 1969 with my brothers, uh, Kent and Ray. And, you know, the big deal back then was the improved touring cars, which was later to become sports sedan. So, 
you know, Jimmy Kill in the Porsche and Moffat in the Mustang and Gagan in, the, in, the, in his Mustang, etc. But I can remember as a 10-year-old boy standing inside that Coca-Cola Alan Moffat racing tent looking at that Trans Am Mustang, just going, oh, wow, how, how big is that? And I think uh, combined with that, with, uh, you know, especially involvement with Brother Kent over the years, that was it. I was hooked, hook, line and sinker, as they say. It is fantastic that you can remember that particular moment. I I, I remember fondly being a, a little kid playing with, you know, Tonka cars on the side of the track at Phillip Island. But uh, that's really cool that you can remember Moffat's, you know, race car and, and being there. And boy, hasn't motorsport and i'm gonna i'm gonna envelop the yulden surname as a as a whole hasn't motorsport just enveloped your family oh yeah without doubt you know and uh gee when you look at what uh well luke's obviously the a current flavor of the month but even he's tapering off a little bit but when you look at what you know brother kent achieved in the sport and you know, back from, golly, I can remember going to, and this is probably going back on your first question, but I can remember going to Rallycross in early 70s, would have been 71 or 72. Brother Kent was running an FE Holden, which uh, anyway, it wasn't a car. It was, wasn't very well prepared at all. I was just a young boy, had one seat in it, and I used to kneel on the floor holding onto the water pipe roll cage that Brother Ray had put into this car. It was a 149 low compression and the engine was clapped out and uh, he won a lot of, I think, what they call Division Three races. I don't know how he did it, but, you know, I went from there and, and yeah, you know, the, I suppose you look at what Kent achieved after that with the Tirana and then we both got involved in the uh, production car racing with the two VK Commodores and, you know, Falcons, Kent won the Australian Production Car Championship in uh, 1991 and those 12-hour races where we finished second and fifth in those. And, let's just know, let's just stop. You're jumping, you're jumping way, way ahead here. Oh, sorry. Go, sorry. go back I'm to that, that, that low-compression FE. So it was low-compression because you were getting ready to turbo it or was it just a tired old low-compression engine? I think, I think uh, if memory serves me correctly, Kent, yeah, you know, he was working at Ford at the time, which he spent his whole life there. But, you know, I don't think he had much. In the, it was his first job, and he didn't have much in the way of financial means. So, no, it was just a tired old tired old engine in, in a car. and But, you know, he, he carried around on his back and, and get some results, So, which he did throughout his whole motor racing career. But maybe the cars weren't all tired later on, but... <laughs> So where, where did your involvement go? Obviously, you were there supporting your brother, but where was it that you decided, to, well, I'd like to have a go at this as well? Well, you know, obviously, you know, uh, Gary, I went along to all the meetings there with, with my brother, with the Tirana and stuff like that, and uh, bitten by the bug, I guess, well and truly then. But I bought a, uh, a Mark II Cortina, just a road car, and, Oh, well, it had a dead engine in it. I'll put a new 1600cc engine in it. And anyway, I just did sprints. Um, and, and yeah, did a ride at that. And, and that just, you know, <laughs> injected the motorsport drug into my veins. And from that, I was pretty lucky because brothers knew some guys by the name of, or surname by the name of Elliot. And they were racing a, an LJ Tirana in a sports sedan. And, they parked the car and it was uh, three brothers. They parked it and been sitting in a garage in uh, Reservoir there, or Bandura rather, for I think two or three years. And B 
being sort of you know friends of the family etc I, I expressed interest in it and at the time i can still remember what i paid for it now bear in mind this is 1982 i paid uh two and a half grand for it it probably should have been seven or eight grand you know but yeah, and then I got the car and because I'm in the automotive refinishing game, I repainted the car and I don't even think I rebuilt the engine at that stage, but it was a pretty thing. And and we went on to have some success with that in, well, certainly I think all the sports sedan races I ran in, generally speaking, I was the first six-cylinder car home. So, yeah, that's where it first started anyway for me. It was a pretty strong era with the with the six cylinder class of sports sedans in Victoria, you know, through the the seventies and early eighties. And if you if you made a name for yourself amongst them, you, you generally got some some good respect because mostly the six cylinders would have their own race, wouldn't they? Well, they would. Uh, this had was finished by the time I, I got into the sport proper, but it used to be the uh, I think the Sig Chrome six cylinder series. Uh, the Yellow Terror um, people, they had, they had a six-cylinder series too. So, again, back um, back a few years prior, you had Phil Brock in a, in a try, you had Graham Smelt, you had Ron King, got us some names there from the part, brother Kent, you know, et cetera. So, and the racing was, as you say, very competitive. Certainly, um the the that 82, you're jumping into into sports sedans, and uh, it is interesting, you know, we, we get to talk to a lot of people as you do around the sport and you know some people are are lucky enough i guess to have had a karting career where their parents are involved but you've jumped straight in with your own your own cash you've shelled it out to some boys in bundura they've walked off one direction laughing go and have a look at the young yielden kid he's bought our car office and and away you go you've launched your uh your, your passion for motorsport was did that obviously that car didn't fix your passion because you you you, you went on from there, just tell us about racing that Tirana and the, you know where you went with it and uh, the people you met in the early days that that may or may not have made you know helped you through your career. Yeah, well, it was a very good, well, still is actually a friend of mine now, a guy by the name of Andrew Dick. Uh, he he used to help me spanner it and and also at the meetings and another another couple of guys. I mean, the car was a pretty basic sort of car, I suppose it was based along similar lines to, to a um a series production car but it had the triple weavers on it and obviously running uh 13 inch rims in diameter and that that era with slicks on it um you know like as i said i i can remember quite clearly tracks like sandown and and calder we were always quite competitive in winton um but, you know, there was no substitute for cubic inches, as they say, especially on those longer tracks. So I, I suppose I got to a stage where, you know, I was in a little bit of a stalemate in the sense that I couldn't really progress the car further forward much more than what than what was able to because of the power plant. And I, I certainly didn't have the readies to, to upgrade it, you know. I mean, back in those days, I think I was an, an apprentice spray painter. So, you know, money wasn't exactly falling off the tree so um ultimately though that car met a bit of a sad sad end um it was at a sandown meeting it would have been oh, 82 or maybe early 83 i was um oh the guy was right I, I was probably driving the car outside of its limitations and a few occasions during the weekend i actually put the two right-hand wheels on the grass, like down uh, the, this is the old sand end of those of you that can recall the, 
treacherous uh, shell corner, which I loved, and that short straight into uh, Peter's corner or Tirana corner, as I call it back then. And I'd put two wheels out in the grass and just make a big white, white arc out of it and sort of hang the tail out for the basically the length of the straight and then back on the bitumen for the, the breaking area into that you know, 90 degree left hand corner. But and that was all good. And I did it a few times and got out of jail. But this particular lap was towards the end of the race. I I'd come up under the what they called the causeway, which was a different corner, far different corner than what the track is now onto the main straight. And there was a couple of little undulations out there on the grass and the car's gone through that and I'll put a bit of right-hand lock on it and that's all fine. But it just, you know, the big, 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 big bitch just got away from me. Not that it was that big. Anyway, it's just nosed into the fence. It's pushed the guard back into the tyre and you know, I couldn't reverse away. So you know, I've jumped out of the car, you know, and I'm thinking how sad it is because every cent I've got's in this car, you know. I don't own anything else. And uh guy by the name, lovely guy by the name, there was a single yellow flag, not a double, so the boys probably technically didn't get that quite right. Um, Ray Chalice was his name. He's come out. He's having a dice with someone. This is on the following lap. He's come out to pass that car, I think, on the inside. And lo and behold, he's come out from, you know, uh, I suppose he's had a lack of vision. And then he's presented with my car parked at about a 25-degree angle to the road. So he's hit my car at, oh, I'd say, well over 100 mile an hour. And basically tore it in half. Um, I Ray to this day still walks with a limp. It smashed all his leg and knee, and all the engine was back through the firewall. And anyway, nevertheless, it tore my poor, beautiful little Tirana in half, and that was the end of that car. So we we kind of hung up the helmet for I don't know a year and a half, or probably two years after that. And uh, I just started a new business, and that was leading into the production car era for myself and brother Kent. Uh, Ray Chalice, he went on a race historic touring cars, didn't he? At a Tirana uh, or something? I think so, Gary. Yes, yes, I think yeah. he did. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Lo- lovely guy, you know. Yeah. I don't hold that against him. <laughs> <laughs> Even though he wrecked your car. Yeah. <laughs> and his own, I guess. <laughs> well, I probably did it to myself, so it shouldn't be. Uh... I was having a red eyed go all weekend and it caught me out inadvertently you know so so now you're talking about um you're you're out of a sports sedan you're looking uh setting up your business and you're going to come back but you're going to come back in production cars yes yeah well what happened was um brother kent and i had a bit of a brainwave that that looked like the you know best thing since sliced bread so we'll get a vk which was a new car at the time and he got talking to his uh He's good sponsor man, Ian Dowsett, from Dowsett Plumbing and Mechanical Engineering. And um, anyway, the deal was done. So we bought a, um, actually, I think my memory serves me correctly. Yeah, it was a white New South Wales police car that was damaged on the front. And I repaired it all. And then what happened was Kent ran that car of Victorian rounds and I ran it at New South Wales rounds, which was predominantly was uh, Emory Park. So... Yeah, yeah, that was good. We did find in Sydney that the boys up there, I reckon, explored the grey areas of the rules a bit. Um, no, we'd never do that in New South Wales. No, 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 never, no, no, no. Never, never. So, so we, we, I suppose I ran at Amaroo. I'd run the top four or five cars. I think Brother Ken had a little bit more success with it at, at uh, places like uh, Winton and uh, Calder. Um, 
but yeah, anyway, on the back of those results, we we I think Brother Kent persuaded Uncle Ian to um let's let's graduate to a two car team. So we had a two car team, and at the time, Ian's wife was running a uh, uh, like a fashion business uh, based out of Greensboro, the Greensboro shopping complex, and called the Finishing Class. So we bought another, we bought a yellow police car this time, prepped both the cars, and I painted both of them pink, and off we went. So we, those cars provided a dual purpose. We ran them at the Commodore Classic rounds in, um, in predominantly Oran Park. Um, and also we re, we double up, we ran it as a series production car at the other, you know, championship and stuff. So the Commodore Classic was a bit of an eye-opener because what well, took us not only to New South Wales, but took us to uh, Surface Paradise. That's There's some good stories in its own right there, actually. Um, but again, without casting too many aspersions against our Sydney side of friends, <laughs> They just couldn't lie straight in bed. Those cars were just, they were like Group A, Group A. I remember Barry Jones passing me down the straight at, at Oran Park. If he didn't have 100, 150 horsepower more, I'd go me. And when it comes time to, you shouldn't speak ill of the dead, I know. When when it comes time for scrutineering, you know, they, they pull the thing, they, you know, we want to see the camshaft out, you know, and they look at the camshaft and these are this high, Giant lobes on the cam and ours. They, they look at ours and just go, you know, serious? And give it a straight back to us. <laughs> Barry would say, no, that's legal. That's, you know, that's the homologated one for sisters that, and just baffle them with BS and you get away with it. But I guess this is what Mel Rose ran in that too, didn't he? The yeah. Commodore Classic. And, uh, Classic. Ian Luff ran in it. Pete Gagan, the late Pete, Pete Gagan, Gagan ran in it. Yeah. Um, uh, some big names in that series. So we, just we, had to... Luffy, we had Luffy and um, Mel Rose on the on the podcast <laughs> in the past, and they enjoyed Commodore racing as well, Brett. Yeah. They didn't mention anything about camshafts, though. <laughs> no, no. Well, the, the, the best story was about the carburetors, right? So we get up there the first time we ran these cars at Oran Park, and whenever we went around the left-hand corner, surprise, surprise, most of the corners are left-handers, you go, boop, 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 and away to go. And we're kind of, Kent and I, we're nowhere, you know, and we're talking to people, well, what do you have to do, you know? Well, oh, yeah, no, I don't know. We're not having the problem and this and that. and Oh, uh, yeah. So, anyway, then they decided, I'm pretty sure it was that meaning they wanted to see the carburetors off. So we pull our carburetor off and we go over to this table. It was a searing hot day, I remember that. And then you get two people who'd come up representing, you know, uh, Team X for, for the Sydney guys, and they have... You know, the other one would have a carby in his back pocket, which is, which is a standard one, like, and and then he, at the last second, I'd swap over and give him a standard one, and the other one would get, the, the hot rod one would disappear <laughs> under the bench. And, oh, all this hoo-ha was going on. Mate, it was just, when you look back in, in hindsight, yeah, it's uh, quite amazing the sort of things that went on. But, yeah. Just yeah. to explain to people that might not be aware, the Commodore Classic Series was for production Commodores, V8s, yeah. uh, and the only difference between them and the production car series was that you could run that little rear spoiler and yeah, CSA yeah. wheels and Yokohama tyres. That was you're the only bad, difference. Gary. You're not bad. Uh, <laughs> A008Rs and a little, yeah. little yeah, side skirts and a spoiler and, 
Yeah, the, the rims were different. Yeah, and then yeah, just to convert it back to production cars, you just took that stuff off and went back to the production car specs. And it was still the Rochester Quadrajet over the uh, standard inlet manifold, if I remember correctly, as well, wasn't it? Well, correct. Some yeah. of us had standard. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we probably should have uh, pressed Mel Rose on that, being that his uh, business was emblazoned down the side carby shop yeah, or whatever yeah. it was that he <laughs> that he had there. Brett, obviously um, enjoying the uh, the Commodore VK Commodore racing whilst in Victoria, but travelling interstate presented its uh, its challenges. Your movement from there, correct me if I'm wrong. You had some time on the Thunderdome with HQs. I did. Do you mind if I just tell a quick sure, little story about, about the VKs? Yep. We went to Surface Paradise. Well, actually, there's two little stories here. We went to Surface Paradise, and you know, have little moments in your respective careers that stick in your head and we're we're marveling at how abrasive the surface is up there because it was made out of um uh i'll say eggshells out of seashells <laughs> you get about six or seven laps out of the tires and you know kent and i running the two cars we were struggling a bit for for times and kent predominantly would be just in front of me and i thought right this time so i remember coming under the dunlop bridge here was a very fast it was nearly flat out in the vk and I've got this thing about 30 degrees to the road. I thought, well, that's it. This, this car just won't go any far. I looked in the mirror, and there's my brother, exactly the same angle in the identical car, and we both it would have taken the world's best photo. It was just so funny. But later on in that weekend, um, I had a bit of a, a coming together with a guy by the name of Neil Shembury. And he went on to run uh, Better Grow. Uh, well, he probably running at the time anyway, a uh, 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 fertilizer business anyway. He, he was a very pretty successful sort of guy, I think, in business. Anyway, it was the far left-hand corner at the back end of the track. And for whatever reason, he's just given me, King hit me in the quarter panel and pushed me off and I backed the old VK into the, into, I'll say the, the old VK, the new VK into the wall and it's ruptured the fuel tank and oh it was a real mess you know anyway that was that so i think the following round was at Oran park so we go to Oran park we qualify we're we qualified i think we're in third or fourth or something or other or fourth or fifth and anyway neil got a slightly better run than me and we went it's better jump off the start we went in the first this is on the short track we ran the first left-hander into that little right dog leg and into that next little right hander. And he's presented this, I shouldn't say this about myself, but but I owed him one, right? Because he denied all knowledge that he'd caused the accident. <laughs> Somehow or other, I must have backed into him. So he did the quarter, his quarter panel to me. So I've given him a tap in the quarter, spun him around, and I've looked in the rear vision mirror and the, nearly the whole field's wiped out. I still feel bad about it to this day. There was VK headlights and taillights, and it wrote half the field off. And I remember coming back down to the the the, the uh, start line there because I red flagged the event, and I'm slinked into the chair, and I I'm on the radio to my guy Glenn Glenn Reeve from Centerlines's bench, and I I said, Jesus, I said I've caused all that. I've just you know. Anyway, at the end of the meeting, I get the clerk of the course saying, well, Brett Yorden, please come to the, uh, you know, <laughs> for a, a, a kind of a rep, man. So we we uh, scurried out of Oran Park and jumped on the plane and flew home, and that's the last we heard about it. 
So anyway, about 15 years go by, and I'm at, uh, I think I was at Sydney Airport, anyway, flying somewhere, and I bump into Neil. <laughs> I go, I remember that. Uh, and he looked at me and he smiled and he goes, mate, I had that one coming to me, didn't I? <laughs> 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 um, yeah, anyway, I, I've got to say, I, I've had a career where I've never uh, intentionally hit anyone, but that was one exception. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was that was the time you got it out of your system. It, it is. It did. Yes. It is. It is. One of the um one of the great things about a, an audio only podcast, Brett, is that um the three of us, for people listening to the Race Fuels Grassroots Racing podcast, we can see each other. This is recorded online, so we can see each other. And one of the fantastic things about any Brett Yulden conversation, as soon as he starts talking about a racing car, the palms of the hand go up. And it just happens to be that he's sitting in an office chair. So the back of the chair is understeering. You can see when he's oversteering. <laughs> and his hands are, and it's just like a conversation in the pits with Brett. So he doesn't lose, he's not lost anything in this conversation. It was just like we could be at the back of the paddock at Sandown and uh, he's telling us about how the oversteer of the uh, the Tirana is working. So uh, it, it's, it's. You've got to be it, passionate about whatever you're doing. Oh, mate. And I'll tell you what, when you. Right. When you're when you, you you look like you're more passionate about understeer than you are oversteer. Oh you, no no, <laughs> don't like understeer. No, <laughs> I invented drifting. You know, all these young kids that are doing the drifting. I started, mate, when I was eighteen, <laughs> doing round and roundabouts and. And you oh, and you were you were saying it was the abrasive surface at at that surface paradise that was wearing the tires out in four or five laps. No, it was you tearing them up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, other people were yeah. getting about uh, eight more. I get laps a whole weekend you. out of them. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh, hey, um, we, we, we were going to touch on the on the Thunderdome with the with the HQ racing there. Yes, yes. Well, I was lucky enough to um, a friend of mine, Greg Stevenson, had a car. And he built that, and he was friends with Neil Burns. And Burns, he built the engine. And uh, as you know, it was a tightly controlled category. And anyway, off we went. And, oh, God, we, we won, I don't know how many races, but we won a lot of races out there. And and was only probably a bit, little bit, I say, later on, I probably ran for, you might have this trivia better than me, Darren, but I think I ran for two or three years. Um, it was only later on that people started to, knock us off my old nemesis bruce williams he did build a pretty good car and he and i had some great dices out there i can remember one day bruce was one of the four cars i was in the lead by about a half a mudguard and i was the far left car and the four you know the inertia sort of thing the push the four cars my 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 whole left hand side of my car is just grinding against a concrete wall and i'm thinking Okay, I was 30 back then, but I'm thinking you know, 1990, and I went, mate, what am I doing here? This is not the place to be. Um, did I go in the win? I can't even remember. I can remember another time when Bruce and I were, were at it, hammer and tong, and I thought, well, I've just about had enough of you, champ. I'll fix you. So I went right down on the flat, you know, because you could keep the HQ flat out the whole, whole way around, just... So I turned down to hard right and I went down the flat and I passed him and I went up the up the wall of Thunderdome. I was about 45 degrees of the road, still with it flat out, but of course, no power. And the thing goes, I had to I had to change back to second gear, only being a three-speed three, uh, car. 
second gear. Of course, he's gone. You know, and I'm back to about fourth or fifth. But I thought nothing ventured, nothing gained. I thought we were going to have another Neil Shembury story there. Again. No, <laughs> no, 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 oh, that's it. Too. <laughs> no. There's, there could be more by the end of this. <laughs> this podcast. There a, there'd be there'd be a few that there'd be a few that'd have a target on Bruce though. I reckon. <laughs> 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 After him. Well, you said it. You said it. <laughs> and I had a brief. We had a brief um, go at the the Oscar, um, but it was a bit. Uh, what's a word? No, we underachieved there because. I built the car. Um, a mate of mine, again, Greg Stevenson, he was involved in it. We had a bit of support from uh, John Lindell, Hold Motorsport. We built the car, but to be honest with you, we didn't have enough knowledge of the setup. And I qualified the car. It was reasonably high. I think it was in the top 10 anyway, but it was just dangerous to drive. I remember bouncing. We had it set up quite firm quite stiff i remember bouncing and i said to the greg i said mate we shouldn't run this car this car's gonna bite us you know like i don't really want to drive this car today no 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 we gotta run it you know john here head of old motorsport we gotta run the car and i said well buddy you know don't say i didn't warn you so we ran the car we got to about lap 15 and someone just breathed on the bumper bar and that's all it needed it pinged into the wall and did only minor damage but i think after that Steve Harrington come up with some money and he ran the car and he was pretty good with the setup on the Thunderdome and, and he did all right. But anyway. Now Steve had spent a lot of time winning it. So the Thunderdome bit chapter sort of Yes, the um that chapter of my Thunderdome racing closed. But I tell you what, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um you could say probably quite dangerous, but I but I did thoroughly I, I guess the danger it. would have been elevated from a HQ to a to an Oscar, wouldn't it, too? Everything's happening a bit quicker. Well, true, but, I mean, that's all relative to how well or not the car's set up. And, unfortunately, in our instance, on that particular day, um, no, nah, the car was just, just virtually undrivable, really. So, you know, it's just one of those things. So, you know, not every day you can be a winner, and um, that's just the way it panned out. So, you know. Around about the same time, production cars were still going with, both yourself and Kent. And um, my research says in 1990, you guys combined for a first at the Yokohama 300 at Winton when it was when it was a proper 300K production car. Yeah, group E race, I think it was, was what they correct, were yeah, Group E. So that was probably one of our biggest victories, really, because we run, it was the only time our, our brother pairing had won it. And we, run it, we won it by a record margin, by two laps. Um, and we did. If I, if I know I'm going to sound a bit self-indulgent, but we did. We absolutely smoked them. But, you know, that wasn't an easy victory because we did an awful lot of homework. The boys at Centerline Suspension uh, that prepped the cars, we did a lot of homework. If you remember back the year before when Supras were the car winning in production car racing, Brother Kent debuted the, um, the um, EA and... You know, the car wasn't competitive in an outright sense because it was, a, you know, a production car against a, a road car against the sports cars in the Supra with turbocharged and all the rest of it. But what we did do, we, we did a lot of learning about it and uh, we were prepped and ready to go for the following year. So that Winton 300 victory was a culmination of, I suppose, of all that learning. And also Kent, um, 
Did he win that year? I think, yeah, I think he won the, the he went on to win the Australian Production Car Championship in that year in 1990. So some pretty clever heads running then as well with Ken Douglas running, you know, like that series was between Kent and Ken. I would have hated to have been the series commentator because that would have been hard because they were always <laughs> no, nose to tail in that in that era, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, and then you had guys like uh, Fitzy and uh, yeah. Tony Scott in the Commodores, and oh, it was intensely competitive. Yeah, so it was probably like, the best era we had in production cars because you had the two rivals, six cylinder cars, and um, you know they're always. <laughs> I, I guess it was the start of uh, homologation. What not start, but it certainly homologation was always going to be a question, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe I've got my rose-coloured glasses on, boys, but I I reckon it was because I just remember the level of intensity that we went to and, you know, we had enough money or Ken had enough money to run the car, but golly, when I look, there's a bit of a recurring theme here, but we didn't have any money to, you know, there's no transporters or, God, that car, you won a national championship with that car on the back of a Finneymore's truck getting from meeting to meeting. You know, and but you know, all of the money went into the development of the car. We had different exhausts for different tracks, and yeah, yeah all sorts of things. You know, as, as well as all the normal dyno work and stuff like that. We had a guy by the name of Garnet Bateson who was building the engines for that car. And Garnet um, retired now, but he used to work for Jack Brabham. Uh, very, very smart guy. You know, with the L thirty fours and things like that. And and you know, he went on then. Sorry, yeah, went on then. Sorry to be working prior to that. Sorry, with the Holden dealer team with Firthy. So we had a good, had some smart people in the background, you know. Nothing happened. It, it was interesting that that, that 1990 Yokohama 300. I remember it fondly. I was the, the did the rear brakes on a VN with Max Bonney in a VSB6 yes, Commodore. Bonnie. Whatever we had, we had to do, we had to do fuel and brakes in the same stop. So I got a uh, a fire blanket thrown over me and had to do the brakes whilst the guy with the leaking twenty liter drum with the siphon in it did the (laughs) did the fuel because you weren't allowed to have dry brake in. We still had to refuel the thing. Twenty liter drum, you're quite right. With a breather that we'd soldered into it to the top of the tank so it can empty out. When the when the fireproof blanket gets wet and makes you cold on the back of the neck. That's hydrocarbons, that's petrol, and I'm doing hot brakes on a VN. Awesome. Good yeah. stuff. Thank goodness for dry brake systems. <laughs> that's all I say. I can remember talking about fuel. I can remember, I think it was 91. Um, so we were the we were the team to beat. And we went there kind of expecting, not expecting, but hoping to win again. And we had what the what it I feel I think what had happened is we chopped we Put some liquid nitrogen or something. I have the details wrong, but anyway, in the fuel tank to maximise the amount of fuel we could put in the car, and that was all good. So we managed to get an extra, I don't know, five litres or something or other in the car. But I, I probably got this story a little bit, little bit confused. There was a lot of dry ice floating around too, yeah. Brett, which I think people were chilling yeah. fuel down. Um. Anyway, a fuel hose come off the car and. We're watching Kent, and Kent's running on a second or third or something, and, and I'm watching, and I'm thinking, Jesus, where's he going? He's missing apexes by a mile, and he's put two wheels into the grass, and I thought, oh, something wrong with the car, or he's crook or something. Anyway, finally, he came into the pits, and 
this fuel hose has come off and the whole inside of the car is full of fuel. Like the carpets, it's it's got, you know, 50 mil of fuel or 60 mil of fuel in the so not thinking he but we bail him out, you know, and he's just about out of it completely. I jump straight in there and while the boys pull the carpet up and pull the rubber bungs out. And I thought, mate, I could have just been burnt alive. You know? <laughs> that was the end of that that race as far as the result, you know, went because we lost too much time. But anyway. So much, so much the memories, isn't there, with those things. And 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 look, the human race, we get we get safer and safer. You know, race cars used to race without uh, helmets and uh, seat belts. Now we have uh, seat belts and helmets and dry brake fuel systems to yes. to keep us safe. We hope, don't we? Yes, right, well, up, right up till an O-ring fails in the uh, in the dry brake. <laughs> yeah. That's so, speaking of um, distance races, the uh, ninety-one James Hardy twelve-hour with yes. the um, the laser turbo. Talk oh. a bit about how that all sort of came about and oh, yeah. the amount of success you had with it in that race. Yeah, well, again, again, the, um, yeah, Ford Motor Company helped us out with a car. Um, we didn't have spare parts per se, but we got access to a number of executive-driven vehicles. So I'm sure they were sold as that after the event. And we drove those to the track and we pulled all the spares that we need off those cars. So there was a row of lasers all there with, you know, brake raiders off them, et cetera, et cetera. So... But um, how it actually came about was, um, well, we we approached um, Jack Nasser, it was, at Ford. He was the president of the stage. Uh, he thought that was a good idea. So, look, again, we did an awful lot of development with that car behind the scenes because we were running against the factory RX-7s and things. Now, well, clearly their car was a lot quicker on a lap-per-lap basis. But we were pretty smart in the sense that we developed a very clever exhaust system for that car, uh, which enabled us to to change, well, the characteristics to increase the boost a little bit going up the hill. Um, but it was pretty fugal on fuel in comparison to those cars, and we were very, very quick in the pits. So I can't remember how many stops we made, but it was substantially less than the RX-7. So... Um, the net result was, and and all three of us, it was myself, um, brother Kent and Ken Douglas, um, we were all within, you know, 0.1 of a 0.2 of a second of each other. And um, anyway, second outright was the net result. So really, that's probably, uh, yeah, it was, it was an amazing result, an amazing little car, really. You know, we just went around and around and around, drove the wheels off it all day, like, Sort of drive at a qualifying speeds every lap, and uh, and that was the end result. Was it the um the was there another laser in that race? Was it a Dick Johnson one in that race as well? Uh, it went out basically on the first lap or the second lap uh, of the that race. Was, that was that was ninety three. Ah, uh, yeah, yes, because the cooler conditions at the top cooked the turbo yeah. or something from mm. from what it was at the bottom of the mount, from my memory. Exactly. Exactly right. No, they they done a bit of a. Well, Ted Robinson was in charge of that, and that was actually, I think that was yeah, that was our car from '92 because in '92 we ran a laser again, and we're on target to be this that year we had Dick Johnson with us, so it was myself and Dick, and brother Kent, and we're on target to finish second again. I think with about twenty five minutes to go, half an hour to go, 
and it broke a uh, well, unbeknownst to us during the day, the CV boot had torn because the car was going, I think, from memory, about 1.5 seconds a lap quicker than what the car the year before was. Anyway, the net result was it, it damaged the CV boot, and unbeknownst to us, must have spat all the grease out of it. And I remember John Smales interviewing me on on pitch straight, you know, and it, just after it had stopped. And uh, anyway, how do you feel? You know, I'm having a cry on national TV and <laughs> not very bloody good, to be honest. But, uh, yeah, so that was a bit of a shame. But getting back to Dick, yeah, they had, they had that car the following year and, you know, they wound up the wick and then, I think it was borderline for during the day, but in the cold conditions of that first, first early first, in the morning, well, it overboosted and blew itself to bits. Yeah, it um, there was a significant difference in the temperature at the start finish line as it was to the top of the mount as well yeah. at that time of the day. Yes, and um, and they oh Dick was keen to go home straight away, but they couldn't get the transporter out. They didn't have the tunnel back in those days. So he had to stay for the day. <laughs> Begrudgingly stayed for the yeah. day. So, so Brett, 93 saw the EB Falcon XR6 come along and again, another um, James Hardy race for you guys. Yes. Um, the, the switch from the laser to the Falcon, was that a, a decision you guys made or was that something that Ford said, hey, we want you to stick with us, but we want you to do it this way? Well, that's a, that's a very good question, Darren. Um what had actually happened was that Dick had sort of commandeered the, uh, I think he'd been speaking to the people forward, he commandeered the laser. And so that left us in a position where not only did Dick commandeer that, I can say this now because it doesn't matter, he also commandeered our sponsor, James Hardy. So he took the car and the sponsor and he said to Mr. Bondor, yeah, you don't want those Yildon brothers, you want me. So we said, right, what are we going to do? we got nothing. So that was the year I tore down the pit lane at uh, the San Air 500 and poked Dick in the in the chest and said, expletive, expletive, <laughs> um, you stole our sponsor, et cetera, et cetera. So I was off, for, off his birthday card list from, uh, from there on. But nevertheless, getting back to what, yeah, so that's sort of the main reason why we ended up with the Falcon. Um, that was sort of a car that, that the laser was gone in the sense that it wasn't a new model anymore. The Falcon, that was the current thing. We knew, again, it was the wrong car for the job. We've, we've made a bit of a tendency of doing that over the years, but circumstances just meant, we, meant that we had to run what we had to run. So, you know, we were running against Lotuses and Porsches and bloody NSXs, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, Geez, I tell you what, we we did the same mentality, you know, theory that what we did with the laser, and we were, were smart the way we ran the car. I think we were very smart with the way we drove it, and that year we had Chris Musket with us, um, and the net result was a, a fifth outright. So, yeah, I think we're pretty happy with our our you know endurance events. I mean, it's a long time ago now, but it's, I think to me. It's almost got more relevance, those sort of events, to a certain extent, than what that 12-hour has now. I mean, I don't know. I, must be a lot of wealthy people around. That's all I can say. 
But while all this was happening, you'd actually had a run in the Sandown 500 and, and in the 1,000 as well. Yes, yes, yes. I was going to be the next Craig Lowndes, but I just slipped <laughs> through my fingertips. Yeah, well, well, I'll tell you what, boys, I'm very impressed with um, the research you've done here. It's it's very factual, yes. So that's an interesting story with uh, with Chris Smurdner that I ran in the, uh, was it 93, um, Santa 500 with. Um, and if I do say so myself, I was pretty competitive in that car because... I'm very proud of the fact that the time that we did in that car was 0.1 of a second slower than what Perkins had done the year before in his own VL. And I remember, I remember going down with, uh, you know, there's no secret that Larry can be short with people at times, but I remember going down with my mate Glenn and saying, oh, you know, would you have any bloody stiffer springs for the back of the car, you know? And he goes to and he said, well, well, what bloody, what lap times you doing? And I think I've done an 18 two or something. And he goes, turns around and without saying anything more to us, turns around to his offsider and goes, give him what they want. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, uh, I reckon, I think we qualified and Gary, maybe you know better than me, but I think we qualified pretty well, pretty sixth or seventh or something. And I, I was certainly running at about, about that. So I started the race. And we were going really, really well. In fact, I spent the whole whole time be up to I think the first or second pitch dice with Bob Jones and the Ampole Max 3 VP. So mm. that had the shower. So our car was sort of yesterday's news, really. Um yeah, but then it got a it got an oil leak on the rear main, and anyway, we couldn't continue and, and we DNF. So mm. that was kind of one that got away, and then I was, I was in the in melting pot. It was certainly going to happen with um with Chris Murden to run his new Perkins built VP at Bathurst, but then um Cameron McConville did a deal with him sort of at the last second, and he got the drive and I missed out. And uh, I was to find out what the deal was later, but nevertheless, good luck to him. So that left me sort of with nothing to nothing to drive and. So I got in touch with John John English and I ended up teaming up with John in his VL, where he sponsors VL, guy by the name of Wayne Douglas owned the car. And um, that wasn't as good as Chris's car, but that was the event that, um, oh, we were trucking along pretty well. I think we're 12th or 14th or something or other. And then without any warning, I'm coming up pit straight and there were a bit, the big center lock nut wheels. It didn't vibrate going down Conrad. It didn't into um, Murray's there, whatever. Nothing. Just come up pitch straight. I stood on the brake to go left, and the front wheel just went, fell off the car. Ah. So I dribbled around a corner, and I backed the car back, and I I knew it was the wrong thing to do technically, but I jumped out of the car and knew it was sort of the wrong thing to do, but, but backed the car back on three wheels, and the boys run down, and we jacked it up, and... I think we lost six or seven laps um, at least, and we went on. The car did not miss a beat all day. We drove the wheels off it. And we well, you up... did, didn't you? <laughs> yes, we did. We did. Excuse the pun. Um, <laughs> we ended up 21st or something. So, And I, and I must admit, I look back in hindsight now, and, uh, you know, I had to – I guess I had the opportunity – well, not opportunity, but potential to keep knocking on some doors and – 
make things happen, but I suppose I got a little bit distracted in my life, which was a mistake because I, I had some sort of um, contact there with Holden Motorsport and I felt if I had I had an opportunity to have a test drive in a HRT car or something, I could have probably um, gone pretty well, you know, but nevertheless, it is what it is and that's a long time ago. So I'm no going to I'm gonna have to I'm going to have to stop you there, Brett, because... Um... A year before in 93, I'm, I can't believe you haven't mentioned it. There was a, a little known race called the Winton 24 hour race, the Pettis suspension race where you drove uh, yes. Mr. Secluder's car, a little white, little blue RX3, the prettiest little race yeah. car you've ever seen. And uh, you teamed up with an entire team of, uh, of, of rookies and yeah. you were, you were the absolute rock star of the team. Rockstar, and and, uh, and and you put that little RX two, I think, on third in qualifying. Something, and like that, uh, and that was a, a pie arc run team, the Phillip Island Auto Racing Club. The club had gathered the money and entered the team and paid for a fair whack of it. Actually, it was probably one of one of my crowning glory sponsorship deals to get that one <laughs> across the line. Ah, now I know got, why uh, this got a mention. You got you got <laughs> um you got up there on the Saturday night and we're all you know we're just about to start off in a twenty four hour race and you we drew on the side of the third Ringwood East Scout truck a, a, a really map, a map of right, the, your memory the that's so good and you, and you went through the whole track and you got all the drivers around and you, it was like this awesome pep talk. It was like John Kennedy in the seventies talking to the Hawthorne wow. football team and everyone just went off. Was I Peter Brock for a second? You were, you were, absolutely. Oh, golly. See? I'm pretty sure you remember the first stint because you were you were the you were the rock star. You started the race and you absolutely blasted away from the line. Completely, completely unknown to you. It was a regularity event. Yes. I got in a lot of trouble. People were yelling at me and slow down, slow down. I'm thinking it's just a race. I don't know what planet I was on, but once you're wired to a certain way, your DNA says you're in a race car, you've got to race, you know. So I raced, but so I probably cost the team the big result, the big win there. Oh, no, the laps you gained, we had that taken off pretty quickly. <laughs> uh, what That's, year was that, Darren? That was 93. 93. Wow. Yeah. How yeah. time flies. And it was what was <laughs> hilarious was all of us you used to know that how much Gary loved that car. And he, he drove it, but he nowhere near the, the method that you approached two wheeling it through the S's and all that sort of thing. And the look on his face when you could see the underside of his RX3, which was pristine, and it was you at the wheel. And it was everyone was just looking at Gary going, You're right with this, mate. <laughs> Get your driver under control, would you? We all know he's done Bathurst, but he needs to uh needs to come back into the control. Good fun, good fun. Good fun. So that 94, you, again, you're in a VLSS Group A, Sandan 500 and Bathurst as well. Um, that's the one that we're talking about with, with. Uh, I, I call that car the Dim Sim car because it was the Marathon Foods white yes, VL, it was. wasn't it? Yes, maybe I have my years wrong. Yes, 94. Yes, you are right. 94, yes. Yeah. Yeah, the Dim Sim car. Actually, a little interesting story about that car too was I did the deal very late with John because I was kind of left holding the baby a bit. It was either miss out completely and have a baby around my mate's place and watch it on TV or pull my finger out. So I pulled my finger out. Obviously I had to bring they wanted me, but I had to bring a bit of a bit of love along to the party, you know. So I managed to do a deal with a guy through a contact, a guy um his name was Eric and he was the managing director of a he, of a uh, business called Club X, which still exists to this day. 
Eric's no longer the MD. But so I remember going to his office. Oh, gee, it would have been, let's say, four o'clock on a, on a Wednesday or Tuesday or something or other. And anyway, doing the deal about the finances. And, oh, yeah, we can do that. And we're going to put it on the quarter panel and we're going to, you know, rah, rah, rah. And I'm sell, 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 thinking I need, I can't remember what it was now. I need this four or five grand or whatever it was, you know, to make it happen. Yeah, yeah no worries. Yeah, we're in, we're in. Fantastic. So, you know, I put me so far beyond the eight ball. I ended up driving all through the night to get to Bathurst and, you know, gave the boys my, my uh, contribution to the team. And and I was in, and I remember when I got to the track, John said to me, mate, you look like shit. Yeah, just like, <laughs> I was exhausted from running around trying to do deals and make all this happen, you know. So probably started off on the, on the wrong foot, but anyway. Hey. Actually, that was 93. 94 was Malcolm Stenikin. Correct. Yeah, 94 was Malcolm. Yes. Mm. More mm. stories than that one too. But anyway. Yeah. Well, go on. <laughs> oh, well, well, yeah. We got to the track. There was a bit of a mix-up with, there was a bit of a disagreement, not through Malcolm's uh, misdoing, but, but with the previous owner. And it was actually originally the GIO car. And um, it put down the whole process of getting to the track. And anyway, we're a bit late in getting to the track, getting organised to get to the track because the man building the engine was late in coming, et cetera, et cetera. And I said to Malcolm, I said, look, why don't we just load everything up? Let's go to Bathurst. Let's get organised in the pit. If the engine comes up a day later, we can fit the engine at the track which seemed like reverse psychology a bit, but that's what ended up happening, um, and it worked out okay. The only problem was the car was trucking along. It wasn't a bad, bad old, old bucket. Well, it wasn't that old, but, you know, was that um, it actually, on the, I qualified the car, and then Malcolm said, oh, I'll go out and I'll do another, you know, a few laps. And I said, well, well, fine. I'm thinking your car, your prerogative to do what you want to do. You know, he's turning left up Mountain Straight and he put a wheel off in the grass and backed it into the wall there and did a lot of damage. Like just half, it kinked the roof. He hit the hit the concrete wall. Yeah. That yeah. Anyway, so all the, we pulled it all the bits and the TAFE crew went to work. They did a magnificent job. Put the car, got the car on its wheels at about 6.30 or 7 in the morning on the race morning, Sunday morning. And it had about 10 degrees neg camber on the back. This was a five-speed Hollinger car, not a six-speed, but um, and a PFI V8. You know, they'd moved on the throttle body engines and things. But um, anyway, so it's got about 10 degrees camber on the back of it. So oh, what are we going to do? So oh, we chain it all up and get the porter power out there and <laughs> get the back wheels in some sort of rough alignment. And anyway. Off I go, the flag drops and it's piercing with rain. And I actually passed a heap of cars and I was heading down Conrod and I think I think I might have just stopped or something. And anyway, um, Dickie was behind me in Moffat's Falcon and he's we've come into the chase and typical buddy Andy, he's giving me a tap in the quarter and anyway, she's just, I remember making an instinctive reaction or decision to do something. I thought I've got I've got the car straight and I just flattened it. As it went into the sand, I thought, I know what I'm gonna do. 
I'm going to channel my way like a grader out of the <laughs> sand and come back out onto the track and therefore miss the, you know, the left-hander. Well, I'll tell you what, I hit that. I hit that sand and it just tore all the front end out of the car, broke all the rose joints and it was because it was wet, you know, it was just like quicksand. Mm. So yeah, that was that was the end of that. So sadly. So um yes, it was a very expensive weekend for Melbourne. Yes. And no result. But anyway, but that's probably what I meant um earlier when I said that probably should have kept that momentum going. And maybe I was a bit I was a bit deflated because of what happened, but um it's a bit hard to keep the juggernaut going. There's there's no doubt you've spoken to a few people in the sport and once the I guess the money starts coming up and you know the sort of cars you're racing are dearer and dearer, so does the sort of money what people want. I was you, um, you, you breathe life you've managed to breathe life into your career time and time and time again. And it's driven it's hardwired into you and it's driven that you go, I, I you know, do you sort of go, I don't know what else to do. Do I or go do I go and have a buy a boat and go fishing or something like that? But you dig in and you you find another way to do it. You ended up back at Bathurst in the 24 hour in a in a Mitsubishi Evo seven in two thousand and three. Yes. You also did a um a Hyundai Sonata, which you won the class F in the Bathurst twelve yes. hour as well. Yes, we did. We did. And the and the Evo thing in the 24 hour, that was um oh again, you know, four drivers, only three, well, two of us really knew, knew each other. It was Graham Alexander's car. With Bob Hughes and oh, I can't think of the other guy's name now. Graham's Graham's mate. Um, and my mum will come to me. Anyway, one uh, Graham's mate actually crashed the car during the week. We fixed it. We had an alternator problem with it. I started the race, and I did. I passed a million cars. God, I can't remember. Going boom, 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 past a lot of cars. I can remember like it was yesterday. Um, and then his alternator problem reared its ugly head. We fixed that. We lost, I think, all the time I made up, we basically lost. We lost one or two laps. And then about 2 o'clock in the morning, I think his name was Bob Hughes, he crashed the car and that was the end of that. So, yes, getting on to the Sonata thing, yeah, that was through the Kangnam Batman TAFE. It was a mate of mine who was running the motorsports department and he asked me to go along. And, um, yeah, we, we run our class. It was like... It was the slowest car I've ever driven at Bathurst, but you could keep the car flat as a strap right away across the top of the mountain. And um, it went uh, it went remarkably well. I didn't miss a beat. I think the two Subarus in the class had a, a little bit of drama. And, um, yeah, there, there we were. I think we were running second anyway. But anyway, we, it was a funny sort of day. Yeah, but we, we won, so that was good. You jumped into the Bianchi Touring Car Series in HQ Monaro, and really on the entry level or on the on the the grassroots of of a real resurgence of let's call them historic shaped touring cars. Um, yeah, the Bianchi Series obviously yes. was run to the correct sort of um, NC specification, but you jumped in there with the with the Monaro, and um, I guess. Brett Yulden all of a sudden emerged as one of the fan favourites running in in TCM for you know the best part of the more than the next decade. Yeah, well, well, yeah. Again, it was a challenge to build that car because I it was the time I had the V8 supercar that I was using as a ride car, and 
I bought that shell. It was a rusted out shell, as as people listening to this may or may not know. I'm a car restoration man. So, you know, I had no flaws in it. No, I was just a mess. You know, I remember my brothers looking at it and was sitting in my garage beside my um, V8 supercar and uh, <laughs> the V8 supercar is all shiny and new and the Monaro is just a pile of rust. And I said, are you serious? So, yeah, I was quite proud of the fact we turned that car for hundreds of hours. Um, the thing that probably got my momentum going a bit about that series was I noticed when I first started building that car or when I looked around, there was a lot of guys running, you know, probably very wealthy guys, but running potentially uh, inferior equipment in its early days, you know, running Jag force spot calibers and bits and pieces. And I thought, gee, I should be able to build a better mass trap than this. Unfortunately, by the time I got the car finished, they more than caught up and they had better financial means. Like there was a lot of things in that car that I would have liked to have done, but uh, finances didn't allow it. Like, you know, I wanted to put a camber diff in the back of it and et cetera, et cetera. There was always a wish, wish list, but I think I made the best out of what I had and the car was uh, of the risk of sounding self-indulgent. I think it was the best presented car in the category. Um, and, and yeah, quite proud of that. And people used to notice that. And that's how I managed to get some of all those small but very loyal sponsors that I had, you know. And um, on the faster tracks, we, we'd normally shine, you know, like uh, Phillip Island and Bathurst and places like that. Um, yeah, I think the best place I got at Bathurst was a third. Uh, that was behind uh, JB won it, and there was Jim, and I was right behind Jim, you know. So on a good day when the stars are lined up there, I'd do pretty well. Yeah, I remember uh, one at Phillip Island went, went particularly well. Yeah, yeah, well, I won a round down at Phillip Island. Yeah, that's what I'm referring to. Yeah. That was that was at a um, Shannon's round, if I remember correctly. Yes, Gary, I'll tell you what, your, your memory, hmm. <laughs> it's on, on trap. I reckon yeah. we called it, Gaz. I think we did, actually. I reckon yeah. we called it. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I remembered it. <laughs> yeah, but it's, um, yeah, look, it was always a bit of a challenge running that car, you know, like, I mean, I'm just a normal bloke with a, a one-man business. So, um, you know, you know, I used to laugh a bit. I remember a couple of times I towed the car to Bathurst I'm a BA Falcon wagon on a trailer. And I got there and I'm thinking, geez, you know, go, oh, hey, go, Jim. Yeah, good. I go, Johnny. How are you? Yeah, yeah, good. You know, and then you got the transporter with the spare engine and a couple of gearboxes. And I, I got bloody one of everything. But yeah, nevertheless, you know, so it would have been, it would have been nice to have probably had some better, uh, a better infrastructure, especially when you look at how we ran that car. Um, at the time, I didn't have a factory or anything like that. So we ran that car for all that time out of my garage at home. And uh, a very, very good mate of mine, Bill Williams, was the spanner man. Bill was uh, the main spanner man with um, engineer, chief bottle washer, everything. But Billy uh, used to be the chief mechanic for Moffat in the Sierra and RX-7 days, along with Mick Webb. So how I met Bill was Bill was actually a customer of my... Um, uh, automotive uh, spare parts business that I that I had or well, still got, but um, and he used to ask me. He said, "Oh, how are you going with that car? Have you got it finished yet?" No, because it took a long time to build it. 
And no, no, no. And he got he showed more and more interest. I got it going and anyway, come along to the first meeting and I think without doubt, I maybe there was one or two meetings he missed, but I if it wasn't for him, I couldn't have done what I did, you know, like he'd come around my house here nearly every night and help me work on it, you know. So yeah, when you look at what we did with what we had, yeah, like people people wouldn't believe it. Tell us about the 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 change in the Bianchi touring cars and, and then it became touring car masters. The the category is and has withstood, you know, a bit of a hammering of recent times, but it really you were you were at the front end of the the pro am aspect of that grid when it was big numbers, red hot competition, and and fan favorite. You know, there'd be two or three deep outside anyone's garage. Yeah, oh well, thanks for that. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um well, I think I think the whole idea with with the Bianchi uh, series was the right one, in the sense it was an NC car with some better parts on it to make it more reliable, and and then it evolved, or yeah, evolved I suppose into the Touring Car Masters, and they allowed some more freedoms, which was okay, so the cars started to go faster, but of course. The trouble with, I suppose, the third tier of all this was that, in my instance, um, I ran a 23-degree Chev engine. You could run an 18-degree in the end. Now, an 18-degree engine in that configuration that we run in that category with those sort of heads will give you about an extra 80 horsepower. Uh, now, the only carryover bits is the block. Uh, yeah, but it's a bit of the block. Everything else is going to be different. So... Basically, it's a probably a sixty thousand dollar exercise to do another engine. Yeah, it's, uh, and this was in the last probably four years in the category, so I I couldn't afford to do that, so I had to run with what I had. So I I was running at a huge uh, disadvantage, you know. And the more and more freedoms they allowed, the harder and harder it got because if you can't afford, if you haven't got a lazy hundred k line around to throw at it, well, which I didn't. Well, you you've sort of got to make a choice in the end, you know. Haves and haves nots, obviously. Well, yeah, you know, and I there was all without naming names, there was a lot of people, I suppose, lobbying for freedoms in certain areas, and and they were given the green light to go ahead and build those cars, and they did, and you know, I mean, there's probably nothing technically illegal. But the bottom line is I don't think that they should have been allowed to have the freedoms that they currently enjoy, you know. But the, mm -hmm. the problem that the category's got is it's a fantastic category. But I suppose that last evolution, in my opinion, shouldn't have been allowed because that's one of the reasons why I guess people like myself uh, have walked away from the category because if I, was, if I had my car now and I was going to upgrade it, I'd, I'd have to do an engine. I'd have to do a diff. I'd have to redo the front end, uh, you know, because mine had, mine had standard HQ arms and things on it. You can do fabricated arms, which allows you to get more caster, which my car needed, et cetera, et cetera. So it's that far removed from what my car currently is. You might as well just build a new car. Mm. And people are spending four or 500K on building a new Touring Car Masters car. So... You know, it's a lot of money. Good time and some great success, though, in that car, wasn't there? Oh, absolutely. I loved it. I, you know, it's uh, been one of the highlights of my life, that that car. And I 
and I did get a lot of uh, enjoyment out of the way that called me a bit uh, over the top, but the the presentation point of view, you know, and actually the funny story, the guy that bought that car, a guy by the name of Mark Fitzgerald, he owns several car dealerships in Sydney. Now, he's not a racing person at all. The last two times that car raced at Bathurst, I raced that car uh, with him owning the vehicle. So we did a little deal and he said, we'd love to see the car race up there. So he'd just go along with his son and his mates. And he said to me, um, I said to my son, Ben, if that car ever comes up for sale and we see where it's advertised, we'll buy it. And he said to me, he goes, I said, yeah, but you're not really a racing person per se. No. He said, but we used to, we've been coming to Bathurst for years. We'd stick our head under your car, inside it. We just love what you've done with it and probably loved it for how shiny and <laughs> neat it was. So when I put it on Lloyd's auctions, um, they saw it and they bought it. Simple mm. as that. The last time you ran it at Bathurst, I think, was the year that your nephew won uh, 1,000. Uh, I think that's right. I think that's right. The year and you did, and, and you didn't stay for the race. You had to get back to Melbourne. Yeah, correct. You, yeah. you know, you know, awful lot about me, Gary. I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we called the last touring car masters together for the track. Oh yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Well, and then you headed off straight after it. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yes. yeah. yeah exactly right. Exactly. He right. taught me everything I know, guess. <laughs> <laughs> Microphone um, drop out. I'm off. See you later. <laughs> I think. Um, I think sixteen we we probably did all right up there though, Gary and Darren. It was um well when it come time to run the car in seventeen, I said to him, Well, we probably shouldn't because the engine's done and I told him after he bought it, the engine had done something like ten meetings, which was time for a freshen up. We ran it in that it must have been sixteen and I think we finished third or fourth overall for the for the for the weekend. And I said to him, I said, well, that's probably it. You know, you really need to take it away and freshen the engine up. And uh, then he come back to me like a true drug addict. I said, yes, he come back to me and he said, oh, why don't we run it again? And I said, <laughs> well, well, it's taken a risk because it's really tired, you know. Like, So anyway, we got the car back. I'll see you now. We got the car back and we prepped it all. And, oh, look, even a bit dubious about that. I mean, that. 16 year we ran the car and have been sitting for I think about a year and a half two years so what do you replace and what don't you replace you know so we replaced a lot of the lines and the belts and the obvious things and uh, as usual it went like clockwork I'm I'm actually very proud of the fact with that car <laughs> uh, with one uh, exception at Winton when I, when I, when I no, did the power steering line it never stopped we finished every race that started that car so mm. no one else has got that record in TCM. And we used to have people come up to me and say, oh, well, the competitors and say, geez, you're lucky. That car of yours it never stops. I go, wait, lucky? I crack test everything from the bloody <laughs> gear shifter to the axles to the, you know, so prior preparation prevents piss poor performance, as they say. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Brett, you were concerned uh, that we weren't going to get up to an hour. It's now 90 minutes into this uh, <laughs> podcast. At about 60 minutes, I normally ask the last couple of questions of our of our uh, of our journey here together. And 
as always, a, a conversation with Brett Yulden is is minutes gained in life, not lost. It's 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 been oh, fun. Your so your two two things. You, you can choose not to answer these, or you you know you can dance around them, and that's probably the way you'll do it. But your single best moment at a racetrack, the single best moment that you went. It might not even be you. It might not be a win, but just something you went. Wow, that just sticks in my mind when you're you know, 30 years from now and you turn 63. What, um, and then the other one is your biggest nemesis. Your the one where you'd go to the racetrack and go, oh no, I have to race that guy or that woman or deal with that person. Might not be, it might not be a competitor. It might be another crew member. It might be the clerk of course or whatever. So there's two questions to finish up on. The second one I have to think about a bit. Um, the first one I'll, I'll give you a response and it does sound a little bit, well, uh, there's probably two, actually. Can I give you two? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The first one I've actually mentioned when, uh, I think, in 92, Sandown 500, when I was running with Chris, Chris Murden, and and uh, Mark Poole, he sort of, he got involved. <laughs> he came out of the last, last second sort of invite, so there's three of us driving a car. But anyway. Whatever, I, I, you know, it sounds a bit self-indulgent, but I was certainly quickest on that on that day. Um, and the fact that that time, and I know I've checked to the record boards, it's right, I was only 0.1 of a second and slower than what Perkins had done the year before, and his car would have been a better car. So I'm very proud of that. And I suppose the other little thing that sticks in our mind, again, it sounds like I'm a bit full of myself, but, but it's probably not something I... I've ever aired before. There were a lot of other people in the gym. Jim Richards won the championship. Was that being fourteen or fifteen? The last year he won it. Possibly, yeah. In the in the Falcon Sprint, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then it was held at it was it was that held at the Phillip Island round, and we went to I think the, the golf club, and uh, I think Rowan did the intros and and awarded Jimmy's uh, prize. Before he accepted the uh, the victory and said his words about what the season win meant to him and the championship win, he got up there and he gave a spiel for, oh, I don't know, four or five minutes about me, about, you know, just, just very complimentary about myself, um, you know, the way I've, I've run the car, the team, et cetera, et cetera, and pleasure to have him in the series. So... That's the sort of thing that's that's pretty high on my own little personal list. That's yeah, and it's a it's a heartwarming moment in that respect that after four decades of doing it, one of the guys that's done it very well <laughs> at the upper echelon has yeah. identified you out of out of 35, 40 others that, that are running it. I think I think he knew he probably knew more than I realized that he knew that we're doing it with one arm tied behind our back a bit and and you know didn't have the the right facilities, and uh, and that made it all the more satisfying to me, I guess, and more rewarding that a bloke like that should say that about myself, you know. And your uh, nemesis? Yeah, your nemesis. Uh, gee. Oh, I love everyone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, and, from, and from all of us, Brett, we all love yeah, you too. Yeah. No, look, I'll tell you a quick funny little story. A guy that used to be that, a bloke that I'd go, oh, no, what a peanut and this and that. Now, but I actually respected him. 
because he had a lot of, I say, fisticuffs or run-ins with my brother, and I was always the one repairing the car, and and that guy was Peter Fitzgerald, okay, <laughs> and and even even I had a few run-ins with him too, with different things like on the track, and uh, but having said that, you must mellow a little bit. I've actually one day he crashed in the camp quite intentionally. And I don't want to give your listeners the wrong impression about me. I'm a pretty mild-mannered sort of guy until you get me really razzled up. But I actually punched him in the nose. I was that <laughs> I was that infuriated. <laughs> so um, but no, having said what I just said, I actually haven't spoken to Peter for a long time. And as you guys probably know, brother Kent just passed away a couple of weeks ago. And I actually rang Peter to inform him because knowing there was good mutual mutual respect there between all of us. And, um, yeah, well, it turns out he hasn't been very well. well in you know, anyway, and he, he was, yeah, he was quite saddened to hear what had happened. And, yeah, so, um, but I don't think in recent times in Touring Car Masters there was anyone that I'd actually line up in the grid and think, no, no, not. Not this guy. Lucky um, Neil Shembury didn't uh, get, get into TCM at any point, eh? <laughs> oh, well, maybe maybe back then, but that's a long time ago. Yeah, that's 1987. So, yeah, no no one that really... No, no one that you raced against closely for a long time or anything like that, like one no, particular person? Probably probably uh, Bruce and I, you know, yeah. at times. But... Uh, <laughs> You know, but that's again, that's water under the bridge too. Bruce was telling me at Bathurst this year how much better we were in the Castro hospitality tent. And he was flat out telling anyone of the listen that he'd won a heap more HQ races than me. And <laughs> oh, mate, you're always thinking oh, best surprised. Of the <laughs> that, that doesn't sound like Bruce, does it? <laughs> well, I don't think we're going to. He was in the hospitality tent, tells me a lot to start with. <laughs> I, I don't think we're going to get Bruce on the uh, on the grassroots podcast, considering now it's on Speed Cafe either. So he might not <laughs> be able to have a chance to respond to this. <laughs> <laughs> hey Brett, um, we're fresh out of time, mate. It's been an, an absolute pleasure to finally get you on here um and uh and and have a chat with you. And um I don't think I've been playing hard to get. <laughs> oh no, 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 no. Well, I'll tell you what, once the call was made, you were you were all for it. It was just a matter of getting the, the technology right, wasn't it? That's yeah. all it was. And uh, and a big thanks to Grace for her uh part yeah. yeah. played. Yeah. She played in all this as well. Um, Brett, thank you so much for joining us on the Race Fuels Grassroots Podcast. Great chatting there with Brett Yulden. Gosh, a guy with so much enthusiasm. Those Bathurst starts, whether it be in the, the Group AVL in the Big 1000 or those uh, 12-hour jaunts and the successes at the Winton 300, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the Winton 300 in a different guise, ran on the weekend up there in Benalla or down there in Benalla, wherever you're uh, wherever you're listening to us from or a crossover here, there and everywhere at Benalla at the uh, Winton Motor Raceway. And, uh, well, the Winton 300 uh, has, for all intents and purposes over the years, been fully subscribed or near enough to subscribe. But you'd have to say it suffered from low entry numbers uh, this time around with cars in B, C, D and E classes. Uh, representing most of the field was in E class. And ultimately, the race winner was the Boyd Allen Walsh Class C MX5 that took the win, outright second in Class B 
was Tran and Shan in the Integra and outright third representing Class C was the Burge and Burge Evo 9 Mitsubishi. So they uh, got the uh, the whole event done. And, of course, it was uh, streamed by Blendline TV. So if you want to have a look at it, you can certainly catch up with that there. The Evolved Technic Victorian Sports Car Series had its last round. Uh, race one, two, three, and four. Uh, Jamie Lovett, Andrew Hall, and Sven Boykarts. And that's how they finished right across the board there. The Hyper Races were on there as well. Dean Crook won all of those races. Super Trucks, of course, are... Uh, Fantastic at Winton. Winners across the weekend were Hayley Dale in the Kenworth, Lachlan Fern in the Volvo White, Shannon Smith in the Kenworth, Steve Zammett in the Kenworth, and Barry Butwell in the Mac Superliner. And uh, they rounded out all the races for the Super Trucks. There was also races for XL's Legends and the two-letter sports sedans were on there, and you can catch all of that uh Results and of course, there's a lovely photo gallery uh, put up by your lovely self there, Gaz, on Speed Cafe. Yeah, Speed Cafe looked after that. Uh, we were supplied images, and there's some really good shots in there. Just touching on the uh, Winton 300, uh, considering that the entries they had last year, which was even less, this is in a resurgence. I believe that this time next year we'll have really good feels. I'd love to see them hook back up with the Sydney 300 and make it a two event sort of series, I guess. But uh, out of that uh, event, it was interesting that uh, the uh, second-place car, that of Tran and Shah, was actually uh, had to do a second pit stop. Because they were in Class B, they had a, a five-minute stop and a two-and-a-half-minute stop. So they had an extra two-and-a-half minutes in the, in the pits, and they also had a misfire, which they had to get over. But they got to the end. And the third-place car, the, the Evo, uh, was in third gear for uh, about the last 10 laps or so. So they, they really struggled towards the end. What makes you think that this sort of uh, class of racing or style of racing is on the resurgence, Gaz? Well, we'll look at the Winton, uh, look at the Sydney 300 grid. It was huge. 50 over Run 50 under entries. different promoters. But, uh, well, I think this one's on a growth. Yeah, okay. Considering I had three times the entries I had last year, which wouldn't have been hard, I guess. But I've I've got faith in in this event that it'll get back. Might not, might take a while, but it'll get back to where it was uh, because that's where it all started. Yeah, yeah, I think they've got a bit of work to do on it. Certainly the other categories around it, like the big sports car series had a great field. Trucks was a good field. Um, XXLs was okay. Yeah, Trucks was one of their best roll-ups for the year. And that was interesting in itself because with Steve Zammett taking the overall points, he's actually narrowed the gap to uh, Barry Butwell, who leads the series. There's still one round to go in November. And uh, considering Steve missed the first round because his truck was in quarantine in Melbourne and had been over in New Zealand for their summer series. So um, it's a good fight back. Mike, you're, yourself and your great colleague, Fogues, who's also got the uh, the Fogues podcasts on Speed Cafe, which you're a contributor to as well, Gaz. I'm sure there was plenty coming out of uh, the Sandown 500 weekend Ooh, uh, yeah. this weekend. Yeah, well, it's worth less. It's worth listening to. He has a, a newscast on Mondays. It comes out Monday evening and uh, a podcast on Thursdays. And, of course, we've also got a Formula One uh, podcast or video cast in some circumstances that comes out uh, hosted by Matt, Matt Koch. Yeah, if there's uh, someone that does knows something about Formula One, it's certainly Matt. He's been made it his life for uh, a long, long time and uh, well worth catching up there. And Fogs has always had his 
finger on the pulse there. Uh, unlike you and I, guess we just disappear into the grassroots and dig out the uh, the long play stories, which uh, we thank everyone for for listening to. What what did you get out of the uh, Sandown weekend? Um, great support cast. Uh, Toyotas were phenomenal. Super Utes. How's how's that going now? It's really wow, coming that's on strong. Up massively, hasn't yeah. it? And they're good to watch. Uh, super Two actually went a bit Super Two in the last race. Of <laughs> the few is there's three safety cars during that race, and Carrera Cup was going really well until the last race where we had that three car incident down at Turn One on the opening lap. But you had to feel a bit sorry for Dylan O'Keefe. He um. He was leading the last, uh, the first race right up to the last quarter and he got beaten by Callum Hedge. But Callum had a uh, penalty hanging over his head uh, for a jump start and it relegated him to third spot. Bailey Hall finished second and in the uh, third race, which uh, was circumvented, of course, by the incident, which uh, took out a few laps because of safety car. It was uh, Hedge leading home from, uh, sorry, uh, O'Keefe leading home from Hedge and Hall in third spot but um yeah super two super three cameron mcleod um we've we've talked to him in the past we've had it we've interviewed him and i uh, really had to feel sorry for him ran out of fuel on the last lap while leading super three um and in the second race didn't get further than turn four when uh, the steering was broken he put contact with someone else so he's um championship is gone uh job stewart who just keeps keeps turning up and either finishing first or second has basically got it in the bag now. It's only uh, two rounds ago. They've got uh, Bathurst, of course, and then down at Adelaide to wrap up the season. They could be heading the same way as national sports announce, hey, just finishing all the races and getting near enough to the podium every time. Where uh, And who did that the week before last? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Tony Riccadello yeah. and yeah. not dead yet. And he talking to him after he won the last race, he, he said, you could see that Jordan Crusoe was really working hard and he said, I was working hard and I was losing a little bit to him. But in the end, uh, unfortunately, the uh, chef-powered Audi had an engine drama and, um, well, when I say did drama... A, did a crank? No, uh, did a crank, I believe, yeah, yeah something like that. They, well, they've got, well, they've got another engine. They've got well, they've borrowed and steeled the spare engine back together. Well, this engine, which is down on horsepower, it's only about 700. Yeah. <laughs> it's It's... it's was in the new car they're building, yes. or John Goulet's building. So they've had to take it all out and then fit it into the, the current car. So I'm going to have another Audi with a later body shell on it, uh, hopefully next year when you can get another engine to get right, I guess. Mm. Mm. And uh, had to feel sorry for Steve Tomasi. They're the big three of sports sedans at the moment. Yeah, they are, aren't Steve they? Um, raced on uh, Saturday, finished uh, second because Tony had a bit of a Minor, well, he, he got caught out by they have to have these my laps uh, light indicators on the dash and it flicked yellow green, it flicked yellow, sorry, and then flicked green and he and he come off the, the pedal, but there was no yellow flags out. So mm. anyway, um, Steve Tomasi got got out, got past him and uh, got second, but they said there was some telltale in the oil. Yes. It. So yeah. they packed it up and said, if we go, if we blow this engine here, we won't be at Bathurst or the Gold Coast. We'd rather go home, sort this out, and come back and do those two events, which are marquee events. So yeah. why wouldn't yeah. you? Lucky they've got the uh, precision auto parts people uh, right in their corner, making sure they've got all the, the <laughs> right gear. Of course, they're running the right fuel that comes from race fuels for the sports sedans and uh, doing all the uh, all the good things there. So, uh, folks. That was um, obviously. Oh, oh, 
a lot of work to do over the next couple of weeks. Gaz leading into Bathurst is where his uh, his experience comes into the spotlight, isn't it? Yep, and uh, of course that was the Master Blast meeting, which originally was the Muscle Car Masters. It's sort of um, fallen away quite a bit from that. There was a there was a good uh, patronage, but nothing like what they used to have. And they had a good field of heritage cars, a small field of historic touring cars, a smallish field of production sports cars, some super carts, and um, and the Toyota Scholarship Series, which for the first three out ever, there wasn't a three-time winner. It was three different winners that hadn't won before. How about that? <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, coming up in the next couple of weeks, of course, uh, highlight here in Victoria this weekend, we have got uh, round five of the Victorian State Circuit Racing Championships. And in for about the last 20 years, uh, that's been the end of the series. But we've got a, another event coming on board at the end of October, confirmed, I believe, at Calder on the longer flat track I uh, had conversations about. Um, going to be interesting for a commentary booth because the one there 23 years ago was in uh, distress and uh, I would suggest now it's uh, more distressed than what it was then. But uh, certainly we'll, we'll cobble something together with sticks and twine and get it going at Calder. But this weekend, Phillip Island, really looking forward to getting back down to uh, the seaside resort uh, town of uh, Phillip Island and... Uh, Seeing how it goes, HQs, historic touring cars, Formula Vs, Formula Ford, 944s, improved production, sports sedans, saloon cars, MG and invited British cars. And they've got a massive field, the uh, MG and invited British cars. It'd be absolutely well and truly worth heading down there to uh, see. Phil Chester has got um, his car entered, and I think it's been Cucciato driving it. So his old um, nemesis, if you like. In that, sorry, that's in the uh, in the MGF uh, driving that, but yeah, certainly plenty of uh, plenty of entries. Did Chester have a MGB V8 or something? He did have, yeah, yeah. Oh, I still okay. Phil Chester does, but I don't think they're um, that's running it. Yeah, he is actually. He's got the BGT V8 in there, five point mm. six litre. Set the lap record at Sandown at the round earlier this year as well. So Phil uh, obviously trying to head down for that. Um, be interesting to see how that all pans out. Some really good fields, like up over 25 cars in these fields. So, Gaz, there is people entering that level of motorsport. The, the Winton 300 it must be just an anomaly that there was such a lower lower level of uh, of entries there this year. Well, I think it, it was it was fairly late notice that the entries got out as well, which didn't help. But I've been assured that it'll be a lot better next year and I'll be right on the money for... For getting entries there, of course, they've got um, the Kenley Bore out coming up in early December too for HQs. That's always a very popular mm. uh, meeting where it's a two-driver event, two hours Saturday and two hours Sunday. Should be a good one. Yep. <clears throat> well, that's what's coming up here in Victoria this weekend. Oh, there's some Q Queensland Raceway. Um, yeah, Queensland uh, championship. championship round five at Queensland Raceway on. The 23rd, I assume that's 22nd and 23rd, uh, XL Cup, production touring cars, production sports uh, amongst what's running up there. Uh, rallies is a big thing uh, next weekend. We've got New South Wales State Rally at Oberon. We've got the Vic State, oh, I think that's, it's called Oberon Stage. I think that's actually Bathurst Stage. So uh, Vic State Rally Championship at Valley Stages, uh, WA Off-Road Championship at Three Springs, 
and the oh, well, that's the following weekend, the West Australian State Rally Championship. So rallies, um, the way things are going, it can be pretty dusty, I'd think. Yeah, look, it's interesting. Um, just some news over the weekend, I think it was that the very famous Academus Rally here in Victoria, which was around of the uh, VRC, I believe that's been called off. Not haven't got to the bottom of that yet um but that's really sad that's always been a very very well run rally great great to spectate beautiful countryside that it's run in so we'll try and track down uh, the reasoning on that but certainly the the valley stages uh, craig jarvie and his crew always put on a ripper they uh they were sort of on the weekend on social media is looking for some officials too so if you're uh a rally person and you want to really experience it close up go and do a uh, road closure or a stage um start or finish for those guys it's certainly uh, a really good experience well we 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 should uh talk about the following weekend which is a long weekend in new south Wales. i think it is in victoria as well we've got state racing at collie motorplex in western australia we've got the australian motor Carna championships it's be one that you'd be uh disciplined to try wouldn't you does yeah it had a bit of success in a motor car yes the moorabbin airport good fun <laughs> yeah narimbin uh, which is in Western New South, uh, Western Sydney, so might be worth having a look at. And there's a uh, Barossa Vintage Hill Climb at Collingrove in South oh, Australia. All the old Barossa people get out and uh, get their... Yeah, well, we've got a friend that's got a 944 that might run in that. Yeah, can you have a red while you're going around? Is that what that means? I don't know. Maybe Crail could enter a 944 or an old Tirana or something. It's probably, you probably have no, a... I don't think the Tirana's room. going. <laughs> I think the, four, the night the four four is either, actually. <laughs> oh, it's hot and off, I think. <laughs> well, Gaz, uh, I reckon that's episode 34 in the bag. Well, that's a biggie. It is, isn't it? That was Got a great, great guest coming up for the next one, but we won't let that one out of the bag as yet. <laughs> it's because you don't know, Gaz. That's why. <laughs> uh, well, we've got, a, we've, got a couple of, we've got a couple of great guests coming up. We just don't know who. <laughs> well... They talk to me. They don't talk to you. When no, they that's right. You're no. on it. They go, oh, no, we don't want to be part of that. Yeah, no, who? <laughs> <laughs> then I get upset because they don't know who I am. <laughs> he's, a, he's, a, he's a lap record holder at Wynn. <laughs> For about eight know. months. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, it's a uh, good night from Daz. And it's good night from Gaz. See you next time. Bye. You've just listened to a Speed Cafe Pod Hub production. 